This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to Clued In with Lou Carbone, a thought-provoking opportunity to expand your perspectives and advance the impact you can make in the CX, EX, and patient experience space. Lou's undeniable combination of the depth of experience and knowledge in this space is unparalleled. As a driver inside organizations as well as consulting, Lou offers distinctive thought stimulation, is a dedicated mentor and teacher. My guest today, is a very special individual that uh, joined uh, what was Fairview Health Systems and is now M. Fairview uh, Health, James Herford, the CEO and president, who arrived five years ago, and uh, two-fifths of his tenure have been during the pandemic. His background is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I've had the pleasure of serving on a board uh, at Fairview, one of the boards at Fairview within his leadership. I still remember the first day that he actually showed up and met with all of the different boards and tried to begin to sort out a very complex system uh, that had been through a lot of ups and downs and has added some incredible stability, uh, his skill and the team he's built are absolutely incredible. James, if just a second or two about uh, your background and, and how you got here. Well, Lou, thank you, first of all, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to, to be on. I'm a, a huge fan of your work, and uh, so it's an honor. Uh, you know, I'm a recovering mathematician, essentially. I grew up uh, in a ranch in Montana, uh, went, uh, did my undergraduate and master's work at Montana State in mathematics because, you know, it was easier than other pursuits. I can't say that it was any uh, thought about, uh, you know, being a brilliant mathematician. Uh, ended up teaching, coaching um, high school uh teaching math and coaching uh, basketball in a small town in Montana, Lewistown, Montana. Uh, went back to work on my PhD in statistics uh, at the University of Washington. W- uh, we started having kids and I got revenue motivated, ended up doing some work for the Boeing Commercial Airplane Group, and then was uh, doing some consulting uh, with uh, suppliers uh, for Boeing. and. One of my clients just kind of randomly was uh, Group Health Cooperative and the staff model HMO in Seattle. And I fell in love with healthcare. You know, more smart people per unit capita than uh, anywhere, you know, uh, very mission oriented. And frankly, their processes were a big enough mess that I couldn't help but be some value add to it. And I thought, well, you know, I uh, went from consultant, they offered me a job, and I thought, well, uh, that's fine. At some point, I'll get back on an academic track. And then uh, 19 years later, I was still there, having done a, in a kind of a breadth of things. Got recruited to California, uh, was working at Stanford Healthcare, and then got recruited here as the CEO five years ago. James, you have been uh, in an amazing situation. Uh, the CEO position was a revolving door. And uh, I think you've got the longest tenure 
in the last 20 years, probably. And when you came in, there was so much to do. Uh, there was uh, a negotiation with the University of Minnesota that you absolutely, uh, between you and the university, worked out an incredible relationship that really elevated the opportunities. At the same time, you had all of this innovation and new things that you introduced um, and vision that you brought forth. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic strikes. What was it like? What is your advice to folks of what you've learned as that disruptive element entered into trying to maintain a strategic perspective, and you've been able to do that, which is absolutely remarkable when I begin to look at uh, the advancements that are being made and at the same time dealing with one of the most incredible healthcare crises in decades, hundreds of years. First of all, uh, you know, I think there are two critical components. One was when I first came, we started working on, so strategically, how do we want to position ourselves uh, in our market? How do we see the healthcare ecosystem changing? And what's our opportunity to uh, position ourselves in that? So it was very helpful to have that platform. We also worked very hard in um, establishing the kind of team that was capable of getting us there. So those were two significant advantages when, you know, March of 2020 and suddenly this novel coronavirus presented itself here in Minnesota. And uh, we essentially narrowed that scope down to how do we get through this? So I don't want to pretend that we were uh, chewing gum and walking at the same time, because remember back in March, we didn't know anything about this virus. What we knew was Wuhan, China, Lombard, Italy, New York and Seattle. And so we were concerned that, you know, the the death rate, mortality uh, rate of this was going to be incredibly high. People were worried about where you're going to put all the dead bodies. And what it did allow us, uh, kind of in the spirit of never let a good crisis go to waste, was I, I think it presented a, a an incredible opportunity for us to come together as a system, because that was always one of the strategic issues. Moving from a holding company to being truly an operating system that worked together and the pressure and that the crucible of that virus uh, and our response really created an environment where we probably made more progress in becoming a system in three months than we had in you know the prior two years. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. And the uh, the whole movement of this highly competitive market, which the Minneapolis area is absolutely one of the most competitive healthcare markets in the country, probably, uh, probably one of the best healthcare systems in, in 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 the country, faced with trying to distinguish the organization and the association with the university, and and really creating a much stronger cooperative bond. Has that really begun to pay off in big ways? Well, you know, I think it has, and I think it's probably only scratched the, the surface of the potential, but I'll come back to COVID. So one of the things that we were able to do in the middle of the pandemic was we created one of the first uh, specialty hospitals where we 
put all of our COVID patients. Now, the rationale for that was, because again, it was a novel virus. We didn't really understand it, but it allowed us a place where we could bring together research and clinical care in a very intense environment where it was not just diagnostic or treatment research, it was also kind of care research. So how do you care for COVID patients? And really bringing that discipline of the research mind to that process. So we, our outcomes were uh, incredible, but it also allowed us to advance the science of, you know, what treatments work and what don't, and how do we continue to progress uh, in our learning cycle around that. And I think that in a, I could, couldn't call it small, but in a fairly narrow kind of example is exactly what the, the premise and the potential of this academic relationship is, is to bring that discipline and that integration of research and teaching into care delivery in a way that I don't think any uh, academic really has been able to do heretofore. James, when you look at advice to other people that are trying to make strategic moves, which I think has been so phenomenal, the ability to continue to make strategic advances while dealing with COVID, what is your advice to other healthcare systems in terms of continuing to advance the ball and not be deterred from strategic issues while dealing with a crisis that was absolutely unbelievable? Well, I think it helps to be able to kind of be clear about what your, you know, we use mission, vision so much it almost becomes trite, but the idea of what's our just cause, right? What's the reason we're here? What do we do? Yeah. And to be able to put then anything that you do back into the context of that just cause, right? Who are we? What are we about? What what is makes us different and special? Provide meaning to our patients, to our communities, etc. So that reference point, as we were dealing with the social unrest that was the sequelae of the George Floyd murder, really helped us because it allowed us to come back to, well, who are we? Why are we? What are we about? So that as we're thinking about how do we respond or how do we position ourselves, we can always come back to that foundation. And I think that's gotten stronger uh, over this uh, period of time, simply because of some of the uh, external pressures that we felt. But I think it's reinforced for almost all of us, you know, that reason we're here. What's our just cause? Why, why do we exist? That is so phenomenal because uh, uh, my co-author in one of the early articles, Stephen Heckel, uh, was an expert and uh, uh, he was at IBM at the Advanced Business Institute and his studies were around the adaptive enterprise and what he always talked about was the reason for being mm-hmm. and I think that you've hit the mother load in terms of the reason for being and what happens with values uh, is that they end up becoming pieces of paper or phrases recently I heard a talk by Michael Powell, who is Colin Powell's son, and talked about values are not valuable unless they become reality and become virtues rather than values. And I I thought that was an absolutely phenomenal 
our perspective in terms of experientially, how do we live the values and exemplify them? And understanding that reason for being what you were just talking about is the core, the essence of uh, of what that is. I'm so fascinated. That's wonderful advice uh, to others that are facing crisis. It's it's interesting because I mean the we're in another surge from uh, the pandemic right now. Yes. And our people are exhausted. They, you know, it's, and plus we're faced with, uh, it's more difficult now to find labor uh, than it's ever been. And so, you know, I don't, I think it's the only way that you can explain how they're able to keep going, how they're able to show up and deliver the kind of care that they do every day uh, is that sense of why are we here? What are we about? What, what unique value do we play? play in this uh, overall societal uh, thing we have. So I do think it, it's probably one of the bigger learnings I've had, you know, as a leader, leader is how do I get out of my own head uh, a little bit? It's not about necessarily trying to invent the best mousetrap. Yeah, we have to think through and position ourselves, but ultimately it's got to come back to that, that reason for being, that just cause. Excellent. Uh, I have one last question, and I know that you're pressed for time. The last question is technology, the use of telemedicine and the humanity and humanization, what I call digimanity. Is that becoming a bigger challenge as we become more transactional and somewhat less relational? I think it's a it's certainly a concern, but. I think of it as also has the potential to increase our humanity, right? To be able to uh, create higher frequency of interaction. Now, it's not a replacement for uh, that special in-person connection that you get when you're actually with somebody. But if you can use it to augment, to build, to increase frequency, to lower the friction, uh, and be able to continue to enhance that relationship, then I think it has the incredible potential of building that relationship between uh, individuals. And I'll give you my best example. So I have a grandson who lives in Austin, Texas. I've only seen once, but through the miracle of, you know, the yeah. FaceTime and everything else, I have, you know, at least been able to kind of build and nurture a relationship with my grandson. Um, it's, uh, and I think that happens all the time with people. Now it's not a replacement for me actually holding my grandson, but that's, you know, a, uh, an example where I do think technology can augment and enhance, not replace that human to human contact. Awesome. James, I want to thank you so very, very much. Uh, you and the team are doing God's work have always been so so pleased and honored to know you and others there that are so dedicated. And uh, I wish you Godspeed and great health and continue to do the great work that you do and uh, that the team does. It's it's really God's work. Well, Lou, thank you. Really appreciate the time and the chance to Uh, get to have a relationship with you. It's been one of the great things about moving to Minneapolis, and I look forward to continuing that. So thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for listening to Clued In with Lou Carbone. If the advancement of the practice of experience management is financial and emotional impact drives you, please reach out to Lou on LinkedIn or visit experienceengineering.com or email us at info at expeng.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.